Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. You're joined as always by your boy Heavy Days here from the Upside Down Library. And as always, this episode could not happen without the amazing support of our sponsors. Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why grow anything else? You might be unhappy at the end. You go to Seeds here now, they promise you'll be stoked at the end. They only stock quality breeders, and if you're not, hit them up. They'll sort you out with some new seeds. What more could you ask for? Well, you got to make sure you get the crop right first, and to do that, you should go check out Coppet Biological Systems. Be sure to check out their Ultimite, a predator mite breeding sachet for all your thrip, spider mite, and russet mite issues all while specifically formulated for maximum release rates in a cannabis production climate. Likewise, make sure to go check out our new sponsor, ProMix. They've got a fantastic new product called ProMix Connect, which is a mycorrhizal inoculant that'll help ensure you have a robust harvest. Are you after increased yield, increased resin, density, and all the things that make your crop stand out from the rest? Make sure to check out ProMix Mycorrhiza via... Make sure to check out ProMix Connect, your number one mycorrhizal product in the game. And last but not least, we would not be able to do this without all the fantastic sponsors over at the Patreon game. If you would like to help ensure that future episodes continue to happen, please go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. You'll get exclusive access to unheard interviews, bonus content, giveaways, and so, so, so much more. Please go check it out. Welcome back for part two of our epic episode with Doobie of AC. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. It was full of knowledge. And if you haven't heard it, go check it out. However, we've got a whole nother half for you to get through. I hope you enjoyed part two as much as we enjoyed part one. Without further delay, let's get into it. That's a great answer because my next question was going to be exactly about that. The killer A5 haze. I've been reading about this because it looks like it could be, you know, the holy grail for sativa heads like myself. Would you recommend this cross for people who like the really sort of racy, uplifting high? Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you are looking for extremely powerful and intense uh, haze hybrid that combines the Neville's world with us, um, with extreme potency, is killer A5, for sure. It's killer A5. And how would you describe that one for people in terms of the smells and the type of high and the flower time? Uh, well, the, the original A5 clone is a long flowering plant. It, it, it can go over 100 days. And uh, here we harvest in in my city, in my in the coast, uh, last week of August. Yeah, sorry, last, last week of November, early December. They are, although they are half northern light, they are very haze dominant and very long flowering. Um, the Ify haze is the only plant I have found that can compete 
with the extreme potency of the Malawi. That was when I experienced also the FI case in, uh, the first time. I say, my God, I, I say, one, this has the type of the incense and the low incense I'm looking from the Nettles close because the others don't have. The C5 is not so intense. Do you remember it? That is not so intense. It's, the taste is quite lemony type, yeah. but it's not so intense. Yeah. Uh, and I say, wow, the A5 is the one for intense. And it's also the one for the most extreme potency from the Neville work. So if I want to keep this extreme potency from A5, and I want to even make it stronger, the only way is Malawi. I, we, we brought the A5 to, to the lab, and it tested 25%, but it hits like 30. Uh, I brought the new Malawi killer to the same lab, and it was 30. So by crossing A5 with, with my killer Malawi parental plants, I can increase even more the THC. Both the, the type of ball effects are similar, super trippy, but with narcosis. And very profound and super long lasting, very heavy in the head and in the body. Both have this, so it was very natural for me to 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 blend them. And the the Malawi contributes increasing even more the the THC, making it more resinous. The my killer Malawis are on the 80, 80 plus flowering range, so the flowering time of the five is shortened down also. And the A5 contributes with the, the signature loading fence, hazy terpenes. And that's killer A5. It's extremely potent, intense, very high yielding, and, and a bit easier to cultivate than A5. And probably a bit stronger if, if you do proper selection. Yeah, great information there. I think that's going to be the one that I'm probably going to jump on. <laughs> the photos of it look great as well. In the last answer, you mentioned the hash plant haze. And this is an interesting one because I don't know if many people have heard about it, maybe unlike the C5 or the A5, which they might have heard about. I remember I got to smell it and I, I tried a little bit of it, but I think it was seeded, so it was a little different. But it smelt a bit like the C5 to me in the similar terpenes. Very correct, <laughs> <laughs> um, What was interesting about it was it, it felt like a real hybrid, like it was kind of, you know, the hash plant brought some indica, the C5 was sort of sativary. What do you think it's going to breed well with? Would you want to pair it with a sativa, with an indica? And how do you describe the hash plant haze to people who haven't tried it? That's a very good question. I'm glad you, you, you know both. Uh, no, as you say, uh, both the, the hash plant haze from Nebula and the C5 haze, which is Northern Life 5 haze, are very similar. They have the same dad. And we, uh, the finished product is also very similar. The Northern Life 5, the C5, sorry, has the lemony terps a bit more alive, okay? The Hasplan haze is a bit, no, you, you can detect the same tie-like terps from the hazy that, but it's more, no, more dark, more dry. It tastes more like a, 
the hash plant, I, th I think, is more like Moroccan palm taste, the, the yellow Moroccan hash taste, okay? It's more el uh, dry, earthy, hashy Moroccan kind of terpenes, the hash plant. Yeah, and they are quite similar. And as you say, the, the, the smell adds these tie-like terpenes. We brought to the lab for terpene analysis both and, and we saw that they were very similar. They are, uh, and for, uh, um, for cannabinoid, they are also very similar. Um, both are very similar in chemotype and in terpene profile. The effect of the hash plant is slightly more funny, both very similar, while the C5 smoke is more tasty. Yeah, I definitely, definitely feel like I picked up on some of those things you mentioned. One of our listeners was wondering if you had any tips to help them grow long flowering sativas indoors. And one of the things they wanted to know is if they had maybe an ACE strain that said it was going to go, you know, say 16 or more weeks, would you recommend putting it in 12-12 from seed or does that have negative effects on the plant? Well, it, it, it depends because... It depends a lot on flowering. Uh, I think anything uh, ten weeks or more, <laughs> people consider it long flowering, right? Uh, <laughs> it's not the same like trying to grow indoors at Ida or Tarmel Hayes that flowers four to six months indoors. That a sativa dominant hybrid that has already refined. That takes three months of flowering indoors and performs well indoors, like Golden Tiger. Uh, it, it requires different approach. Okay, but considering that you are growing a long flowering sativa, okay, and the problem is is just the long flowering and the size and all this. Uh, indoors, the typical failure that the growers do with sativa is to provide a lo lot of pot size. Uh, a lot of uh, growing time, okay? Uh, the tropical, the sativas and the tropical sativas take longer to reach sexual maturity, usually seven, eight, nine weeks. This means that the plant will grow, will grow, will grow from seed and, uh, until, until reaching the sexual maturity before the plant is not able to flower. No, 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 no matter the photoperiod you're using, it's not going to flower. So, if you want to keep the, if the grower wants to keep the, the plants small and under control during these two months that, that the plant is reaching sexual maturity, it's better to use a small pot, for example, three liter pot, just, just to, to let it grow until the plant shows sex, for example. You say, in that way you can keep many plants in small pots. And then when you, if you only, only want to grow females, you say, okay, I discard the females, I discard the males, sorry, but this didn't, didn't take much space, only three liter pottage. Then you have the females in the small pots and, and then you switch to flower. But you keep them in the small pot, okay? Because the sativas and especially tropical sativas, the early flowering stretching is very strong, very, very strong. They can double, triple, or even more uh, multiply their size just in early flowering. Uh, what, what is the best way to to control their size with, without topping? 
is with rod bound. We're using a small pot. Uh, typically, if you let the, the, the female in the three liter pot after sexing and you pass switch to flower, the, the, sativa, the sativa dominant hybrid or the tropical sativa will start to flower, uh, will do the early flowering stretching, but in a more moderate way. Okay, you, the grower will be able to, to tame as much as possible the size of the tropical sativa from seed. Uh, and then uh, some sativa dominant hybrids will work, work well under 12-12, like could be Panama, Bangui Hayes, Malawi, Malawi Cross Panama, Golden Tiger. This work well under classic 12-12. Or there are strains like pure tie, old timer hairs, you need to go down 11, 13, 10, 14, even. Yeah, and obviously another trick is to start from clones, from sexually mature clones. You, uh, and once it's established in the new, in the, in the pot, you directly switch to flower. In that way, you can have Sativas so one meter, less than one meter, a bit more, but very, very under control, yes. Yeah, great advice there. I was wondering, have you ever experimented with different day and night times? Like, for example, DJ Short famously said that he gives 11 hours of light, 13 hours of dark, and he thinks that it makes the plants express more sativa-like. Have you found anything like that on your own? Every strain is different. Uh, yeah, I, I think a reason that his approach was uh, like to start the germination of the tropical sativas under 1410, no? I think so, yes. Yeah, because this is, for example, in the subtropical strain we have been talking about in Canary Islands, in Hawaii, in New Caledonia, in Reunion Island, is that photo period. The longer days will be 14 hours, okay? And then you grow uh, the plants and when, when, when you decide, uh, you switch to 11.13, yes. Very tropical strains uh, from zero to seven in, uh, from the equator. For example, Thais, uh, extreme Colombians, uh, extreme Jamaicans, uh, extreme Central Africans. Uh, these plants don't flower in, uh, under 12-12. They are in, in an everlasting early flowering stretching. <laughs> so indoors, they just grow longer nodes and longer nodes that they put a few pistils, but they continue because they are feeling that, that they are in that moment, that they need to stretch and make a space for the bats, uh, but they will only, th this extreme tropical will only go deep to the flowering process when they are 11-13. And even to, to make them fully ripe and avoid more reflowerings and reflowerings, you even need to bring down the photoperiod at the end, maybe to 10-14 photoperiod. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. I've seen online that I think you had mentioned somewhere that 
you felt like a lot of indoor growers only really want to do eight or nine week strains because they think that they're going to yield more. But then you said, oh, you know, but if you grow a strain that takes, you know, three or four weeks longer, it will yield more. So it is worth the time. Do you feel like not enough growers are sort of aware of this? Because it feels like there's not a lot of sort of commercial people trying to do sativas, you know. How can we help get the message out there that sativas are viable? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I, I don't think many people realize, especially the, the, the young ones. And uh, there's also the false myth that... Uh, Without indica, there's no gel in hybrids. You know, uh, I have many many people that ask me the, the same question over, over the years. I want a, a seven eight week flowering plant that yields well, and I say, oh, early flowering plants are not the best yielders. There are good indica strains, but you want an indica, okay. There are good indica strains that are good yielding with nine weeks. But if you want even better yields, <laughs> better to grow a 50-50 hybrid, uh, a real F1 hybrid 50-50 that has a lot of heterosis hybrid bigger, uh, and wait until, for example, the Malawi cross PCK, it flowers 9, 10, 11 weeks, but the yield is the double the that a plan of eight weeks. So, uh, is it worth to, to wait two, three weeks more uh, and yield the double and, and harvest the double uh, and harvest something that has more sativa and probably can provide different effects? If you ask me, for sure. And if, if we talk about the whole picture, what are the biggest cannabis yielding in the world is sativa dominant hybrids with just a touch of, of indica. 70, 80% hybrids that can grow five to six meter big and yield two, three, five kilos. And they have just enough indica genetics to add the bad density to make weight. But the long colas flower structure, the big size, the super vigor, all, all these traits that at the end will come on the final gel come from the sativa. The good flower leaf ratios, that is a good trait for later, for bagapil and for trimming. Is, the, the indicas have very bad flower lead, bad ratio. The, the sativa have better. So at the end, if you want a very high gel with very great flower leaf, leaf ratio, you must go to Sativa Genetics, no Indica. And wait a bit more, but it will be worth. Hell yeah, I like the sounds of that. I don't know if it's the case worldwide, but I feel like in Australia and in America at least, people prefer Indicas over Sativas, generally speaking. And I was trying to think about why that was. Like, why do people seem to like Indicas more? And I kind of was thinking, oh, well, maybe it's got something to do with how sometimes people who sort of have anxiety or are naturally a bit nervous will use cannabis to help with that. So, you know, those people aren't going to like sativas. 
But then I kind of thought, oh, I don't really know. Maybe it's just individual individual biochemistry. Like, who knows? So I'm wondering, do you feel like more people like indicas than sativas? And how can we try to convert some of the people who like indicas over to the dark side to try the sativas? Yeah, well, I... Um uh, I, I, if you like if you like indicas and if you like smoke indicas, I don't think it's the dark side or it's a bad thing. Uh, um, but what I think is a bad thing is the re- reductionism to simplify the whole qualities of the cannabis gem pool towards only the the indica dominant strains that look good on, on Instagram. You know, I think the cannabis is much more than this. Has much more than to offer than, than that. I understand that a lot of people don't tolerate well the the sativa effects and prefer the indica or or CBD and it's, it's perfect. For smoking sativa, no one is better person and is not no is not better. Okay, but uh, yeah, I think it has to do with both things. In one side the uh, the industry, both in America in the 80s and in Holland, developed commercially uh, within the growing. And the best strains that were developed within the growing had a lot of organic. This is a fact. And because Northern California and, and all these places, uh, they, they, they need in, Octo- in Northern California, the, the October is already cold. Uh, in Holland, they don't have a good weather. So, Yes, uh, commercially, it went to to fast flowering indoor plants of of Afghani indica genetic background. Uh, the Afghani also they were the more suitable strains to adapt genetics to indoor growing to shorten flowering times to make the the buds denser to increase resin production. So at the end, the standard for Commercial quality with, after the skunk, is, uh, and now with the kush and the cookies, is obviously, uh, and it's a fact, is the indica dominant strains. Yeah, some of them have a bit of, of sativa, they are very complex polyhybrid, you, you see that they, they produce sometimes thinner leaves, but the flower is all, all about the refinement of the cannabis Afghani indica, you know. Is the and they are succeeding in the, the, the they are the best on it now in, in North America. In North America, are the the pioneers of the modern Western marijuana. Uh, we need to to thank to to the hippies that, that we are smoking and have this cannabis culture today. They are the the biggest country the, with the biggest cannabis culture in 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 the Western country. They are pioneers in breeding. So, uh, I, I cannot complain much about them, but honestly, the, their style doesn't match with my, my style of what I like, but it's just my, my, my taste, and I don't think it's better or than the other. If you ask me, I would like to see more diversity, more genetic diversity and more sativa strains being grown and being appreciated. Yes, of course. Yeah, and it's a bit like, like that, it's the industry and also what you say, a bit of the, 
the society we live now on, when the hippies started with all this, they, they wanted to, the, to make the revolution and use the revolution, use the drugs for the revolution. Now we live in, in the days of globalized capitalism, no? Um, we deal with a with lot of stress. We are very disconnected with the nature, with the natural life. Um, we suffer a lot of um, the depression and anxiety increase in this modern world. So uh, it's, it's normal and that, that people uh, need, need approach approach to cannabis from the medical way uh, and then they prefer something that we, that is more like a stone, no? that will kill the day because they have had enough of the day. <laughs> they just want something that, that, that will kill the day <laughs> and will help them to go to, to, to sleep uh, and that's all. Or if they have a medical problem that don't get high and, and, and get some medical relief from the CBD. Yeah, great answer, great answer. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the Spanish scene. And what I was interested in knowing specifically was, is hash still a big thing over there? And then as a follow-up, are there any sort of differences in the culture, just even regionally from, say, different areas in different parts of Spain? Yes, uh, being close to Morocco... Uh, the, the Spanish cannabis culture was all about hash, and then when when the, this first century the grows uh, the grow shops and the genetics start to come from the pe- people start to grow indoors and 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 then uh, a very a very thriving cannabis in industries started to to, appear, to consolidate here. From, from the seed banks, from grocers that are the small retailer, to big wholesaler, to fertilizer companies, to magazines, to making events, uh, lawyers, uh, this, everything, everything. Uh, it, it started 20 years ago, or a bit or more, uh, but it, it met when the that seed and were going down, and we were just creating our industry. So, yeah, of course, a few strong seed bank in Holland still remain strong, like Greenhouse, like that's passion, and, uh, and two new ones very strong appear, like Royal Queen and Barnes, for example. But here in Spain, uh, the, we were competing, we, uh, the Spanish people managed to create companies that were competing in products and in volume of business with the Dutch company and at all levels, at all levels. In a few years, well now, after 20 years, the, the, the sector moves a lot of millions, creates a lot of employment. Uh, there are legal, legal companies like mine that we pay a lot of taxes. Uh, so, here in Spain, the weather is extremely good, and we are one of the strongest countries in the world for tourism. We, we, we are a population of less than 50, and we have 70, 80 million of tourists per year uh, before COVID, obviously. A, a lot of people from, from England, Germany, 
Sweden. Uh, when they retire, they buy a house here in Spain to live because the weather, the quality of life is cheaper, they love for culture. We have a lot of different culture from the south, the, the Mediterranean, the, the north, the central, the, the food is completely different. We are very tolerant. We are have a lot of uh, yeah, culture, history. We, we, uh, we like a lot the party. <laughs> so this is the perfect place so the tourists could come and create a, a recreational marijuana industry. You know, they, they all come here to, to get drunk, to enjoy the beach, to, to all this. It's happening now with the social clubs, in, especially in Barcelona, that is always the most tolerant city and that is go ahead of, of the rest of Spain. But the model is not still fully legal, not for, for the seed banks, not for the producer of the clubs, not for the clubs. It's a very incomplete model that allows to distribute seeds. Our company can uh, is buy and sell seeds legally. Uh, you, you, you can make products oriented for the cannabis growing, like the fertilizer, the, the lamps, the soil, brands, and all this. But still, Spain is very, very go, very, very behind of the worldwide legalization that is happening in North America, in Latin America now, Uruguay, Colombia, Mexico, just now, Ecuador also legalizing, uh, in, in Thailand just legalized, in many African countries we are legalizing, uh, Morocco just said two weeks ago that is considering the legalization, here in, 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 in Europe, uh, uh, Germany has included the marijuana in the national health system. Uh, so they are buying legal, uh, legal marijuana from big LPs from Canada, from Israel. So yes, it's, it's happening, it's happening. But some countries, uh, Europe is, is being slow compared with, with United States, with Latin America. Or I think I think Australia and Europe we are very stupid. <laughs> we, we, in our cases, eh, Jordi, is 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 terrible. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. I mean, Australia's got a cannabis program, but it's probably not not very good to be honest. <laughs> anyway, I was wondering why, because we you know we're kind of talking about hash. You got me interested. Which of your strains do you think makes the best hash? And then as a kind of slightly different question, which strain has the largest trichome heads? For extraction, the, uh, the, the best one that we have, uh, in, uh, Indicas, would be uh, Buba hash, which is Bubacus hash plant. This is not a very land-raised hybrid, but... I like it so much, and the customer like it so much that we offer. Then uh, the the Bubacus cross PCG is also very nice for for hash and extraction. Uh, the hash plant, and then uh, the Calichina doesn't give so much return, but it gives a hash that is very very special like very exotic in Fensei hash, the, the, the Kalichina, quite different to, to the Afghani hashes that are more common with the cookies, 
the OGs and the Buba, okay? Yeah. And then for yeah. for for Pakistani kind of has an, an extraction the the Pakistan Chitralkus and Violeta because it's very nice that the tricons uh, really carry the 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 pigment the the pigments. So when you you do the extraction and, and the hash, the the hash most of the time be, becomes purple or violet. Oh, lovely! So yes, this this with with Pakistan Chitral Kush, the purple fenos or or with violeta. And this is quite interesting for for Pakistani hash and colorful hashes. Then yeah, for more Afghani the buba hash that I already commend you. Um, for for CBD extraction, CBD one, for sure, is extremely resinous and very good terpenes for extractions. And if you want to make CBD extraction, CBD one is excellent. And we have sativas of of oh, that are very 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 resinous, but usually the 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 sativas produce the the the, the indicas produce the uh, the resin more divided also in, in, in the bracts but also on the leaves nearby the the flower the sativa concentrate much of the of, of the resin on on the on the bracts and not so much on the leaf mm. so for extraction they are not so so good in return but we have sativa dominant hybrids that are very resinous. Uh, for, for example, Panama Firm works very well. Panama Crossbangi Hayes also. Malawi Cross Panama. Uh, Killer A5. Zamadelica Firm. All these are sativas that Golden Tiger Firm uh, that are very good for extraction with sativas. There you go, some great answers there. I was interested, I was browsing through your catalogue of strains on one of the seed banks and I noticed there was one that I'd never seen before called Hokkaido. And it says that it's like a Japanese hemp. That sounds very rare and unique. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. This was a, another genetic swag with, with a grower. Uh, a person from from Japan contacted me, and um, yeah, I, I I did some research when trying to get a picture of, of, of how the the true land races were divided around the world. And yes, I, I read something about Japanese strains, uh, but but it was not clear the information if whether they were really psychoactive. Japanese cannabis strain, like breathe for the sick active. It, it, for sure, it was used for for fiber and cer ceremonial uses for for thousands of years at least. Is documented that in yeah in, in their own rituals uh, and and also for yeah for in the fabric uh, for the clothes. They have a, a long tradition of of, of, of cultivating hemp, and, and uh, for I have uh, gathered uh, there was many many uh, hemp strains all around the, the Japan because Japan you know 
the, the, the climates are quite different. The south, there are some islands that are almost subtropical, and Hokkaido, which is the north part, is an island on the north, is, is very cold. The summers is, is a very natu natural reserve, very beautiful place. <clears throat> and uh, it has short summer, but, but the, the, the cold weather comes very fast. The, the autumn is, is very short and the winter is very long. So, yeah, it was difficult because the, it was not properly documented. And, and uh, when, uh, after the Second World War, uh, Japan had to comply, follow the, the, the laws from the United States, no? And at that time, the, already the United States had the, the laws regarding the, the, the cannabis and marijuana, no? So, so I think they tried many of the of the all Japanese hemp strains probably have been eradicated during during these years, the previous decades of prohibition, and somewhat in in Hokkaido, which is some uh, a wilder place, uh, the the hemp. Uh, has escaped from the eradication program, so although they try because they eradicate millions of plants yearly, but uh, yes, uh, population population of cannabis managed to 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 thrive without human help uh, there in Hokkaido. And I, I contacted with uh, with one Japanese, and he Aitahina. And what about Hokkaido? He told me, yeah, yeah, I have some seeds. I can send you. Then we, we did an exchange and did on that. And I was quite excited about to see what could come out. Uh, and when we grow, the, the first week was quite, in the, uh, quite exciting because it grew like a houseplant indica, like, like wild leaves, uh, Looks like quite like a vanica, no? Like the indoor plants, you see, no? It, it reminds me a lot like the Chinese indica, the China Yunnan. In in some ways, remind me a lot to, but still those indica has plant traits. Um, and yes, yeah, so I, I have hopes that it could they could be a, a psychoactive indica strain. <laughs> But but it's not the the, the the first population the the P1 plants we, we grow. Uh, to be honest, we didn't grow it to the to the best potential because the first cycle uh, we got a, a a spider mite infection, so we had to take clones. Then uh, we we flowered them again uh, outside, but it was extremely hot. It was in summertime here. I think I did, they didn't like much the the weather, and the samples didn't express. We, we brought them to the lab, and they were very similar with, like a hemp strain, I can, uh, like 0 0.5 of THC and 0 0.5 of CBD. But at least it's good that the CBD was synthas was active. Okay, it was not. Uh, uh, but very recently. Uh, then we, we open pollinated the, because I did, we didn't receive many seeds. We didn't have 
Um, for what we, we, we saw in the P1 generation, I, I, I didn't see any psychoactive plant. The plants were not resinous, what I smoke didn't get you high, the, the cannabis analysis were under one. So it looks, sounds and tastes uh, like a hemp strain. So we open pollinated, we, I think we only discard one plant that was hermaphrodite, but all the plants, the rest of the plants that were sexually stable, we open pollinated. And of our, our first studies is, okay, this is a hemp strain. Say so, okay, we, we we release them as a hemp strain. There's not a problem. This obviously we is not going to sell a lot because our customers are more marijuana type, but the ganja type that wants to to get high with with the flower. But it's interesting to from the preserve from the preservation side to to contribute with new hemp cultivars that. But no one knows except the, the Japanese, and the Japanese have had a, a very prohibitionist uh, since since the Second World War, so they don't comment anything about their Japanese strains or, or they, they can be psychoactive. There are some studies, quite those, um, and uh, one yeah, but some some land race growers they say yeah Japanese. Wow, that's interesting. I'm going to buy you some packs and, and this and that. More because from the preservation side and, and, and because it's really exotic, no? Right? Than its psychoactive potential. And one grower that grew the, P, the P2 generation we, we release, we are advertising it as a hemp with no relevant psychoactive or terpenic value. And, and one grower that grew a, a few packs found a few resinous plants and a few plants that were smelling really good from, from a few do dozens. Um, and, and he brought them to the lab and, and one of them had 10% of CBD and 5% of THC. That's pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. And the others were, uh, and the others interesting were very low in TAC, but a bit, but a bit of CBD. And then the third type that was like the one we found, like, like very low TAC and very low CBD. So it really showed that, that uh, if we look for in first that the, the, the strain has the potential to, to be more relevant for, for terpenes and cannabinoids. And with a bit of work working to, to this plant, to, to this kind of chemotype with more content, we can make it even psychoactive. But it, it will need like back crossing to this type of plants, then inbreed, inbreed line one, two, three generation, and, and then fix, fix it to, to something more psychoactive or something only with CBD, but more CBD. It can be done. Yeah, it gave a, 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 a more interesting value to this line. And it was, we chose discovery like two, three months ago, thanks to a customer in, in United States. He's a legal, a legal uh, hand grower. And, and he had a chance to, to grow a few dozens uh, and realize that, that a few had the potential to be psychoactive. So who knows? I'm, I'm in touch with him and, and maybe we collaborate to, 
to hopefully increase the cannabinoid entrepreneurs of, of this. Yeah, but definitely there's potential to do it, yeah. Yeah, wow, how interesting. Maybe a future offering from the Japanese hemp strain. That's very cool. So you mentioned preservation in there, and it kind of got me thinking about a question I've been thinking about for years now, which is for someone like yourself who's looking to get pure land race stock, what does the future of preservation look like to you in regards to land race, considering most people kind of say, oh, you know, you can't find that pure anymore, even if you go to the real, it's all polluted now. What do you think land race preservation is going to be like going forward? The thing, uh, obviously, many things have been lost. That's, that, that's true. But many things are left. Many things are left more than the indoor kush waiting for us to, to, to yeah, I, I think in, that, that is a, a pessimistic way to see it, yeah. I agree that very interesting lines have been lost. Then you're not going to do anything to, to, to really find out how many good ones are left and to try to preserve what is left, you're going to stop there only. I, I don't understand this attitude. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult because pre preservation, how, how it has grown up the, the recreational and the industry doesn't give money. In the future, will in mid-long term, when this gets, when this industry gets more complicated, when the genetic engineering starts, when only big companies that have this knowledge, these machines, these qualified people, these patents, will be able, for that, for that profile of companies, then the, the different genotypes that, that the land races and, and the gem pools that we are now looking at, these are the, uh, the gem pools that, that, that will be very important and, and with a lot of value for, for these big companies. Okay, but in mid-long term, at the moment, and for the small companies, it has very little value. Because what is the big trend? The kush, the cookies. This is 80% of the business. This is 80% of the business. So if you concentrate in, if you want to make money, you need to concentrate on this. That's why the, that's bank, the seed banks are copying USA and the Spanish seed bank are also copying USA because it's the next big thing and USA is already there. You know, but, <clears throat> and, and the only way to, the, the commercial example is, all has cookies. It could, you can call, call it with other name or cross it with other name uh, and give it another twist so it looks slightly better, but it's a very narrow part of the gem pool and the potential and, and the qualities of, of the cannabis. So 
for, for me, preservation, I, I saw it since the beginning. First, as a passion for me to learn, to, to where, where is the roots? In the highway, we, we, we find it all mixed, but where this, the taste of the, of the skunk came? Where the intense of the haze came? Where the color of this came? To understand all this from, uh, from the roots, what land races give, give these traits? And for me, it was passion. For me, it was obvious that it has an immense genetic value, something that can give you something new. Uh, if you're always repeating the same, it's very, it's very difficult that you came up with something entirely new one that can, that can make a, a new revolution on the cannabis. You know, uh, in science, uh, uh, if you are always repeating the same, you always finish on, 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 on the same. If you want to reach to new territories, you must start from, from new things. And for that, the, the land races. And obviously, it's the, the, the source of the, all the genetic diversity we enjoy right now. is the repository of, this, of the genetic diversity, all this genetic widespread, especially in countries like India, Nepal, Afghanistan, Pakistan, that they have such cannabis culture for hundreds of centuries in so many parts. It's, it's incredible the genetic diversity, just alone in India, Nepal, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Um, yeah, the sort the revolution that, are, that have been happening with the out-of-flowing revolution, the CBD revolution, all these were traits that were very obvious and easy to, to get from, from land races, from the out-of-flowing, from the eastern hemp, for example, on the Russian hemp, and the CBD from, from the... Ha, uh, the, ha, the hash plant land, land risk cultivars. All the hash plant land risk cultivars have CBD. The Moroccan, the, the Afghani, the Lebanese, the Pakistani. So the potential to find new things, new cannabinoids, new terpenes will come most probably from the, the, this, the gem pool of the land race, most probably. Rather, than the bottleneck gem pool that the American industry is driving the, the gem pool nowadays. Yeah, great answer to a, a complex question. While we're talking about genetics, a different viewer wanted to know, and I was interested as well, what sort of Lebanese stock do you work with and how would you describe it to people? Our listener was wondering how often does the red phenotype versus the blonde phenotype show up in the regular seeds? <clears throat> yeah, um, the, uh, so, some, some people, I, I think most of our audience knows, but I think it's good to point it out. Yeah. Um, Usually, people associate or connect hash with Indicas, right? With Afghani, Pakistan, no? But many of the traditional hashes are produced from sativas. The, the most 
excellent cases are the the chara sativas, the the Nepalese and and the North Indians, okay. But also the the, Moro the, the Moroccan has and the Lebanese has that is used following the dry sieve methods used in in, in Afghanistan and Pakistan are sativas. People confuse and they uh, um, I th um, uh, for I. Uh, yeah, for, for, for some people, it's difficult to understand that, that the Moroccan and the Lebanese are sativas. The, the Lebanese we, uh, population we, we offer from NACs came from, from a, a friend from Israel, that in the 90s, he, um, there in Israel, it's very, very easy to get Lebanese has. But not so common to, to get with, but sometimes he, he got with from the Bedouins that that were smuggling some some products and, and with also, no? And and then he saved the the seeds and he came to, to live to Spain for a few years. And we kept we keep in touch and he's he shared with us with and with Charlie Arthia also the seeds of of this Lebanese. And it was working mainly by, by a friend of mine called Ras Pablo, who, who did the first generation. And, and yes, it's, it's a sativa completely adapted to the dry and hot climate of, of, of Lebanon. It's, it's extremely resistant against heat and lack of water. We did, we did a test here, uh, outside, putting some Lebanese uh, plants in a pot. Now, usually plants in a pot dehydrate easier. Uh, here in summer time, for, in, in Spain, 40 degrees, and at the exit of the aircon. So the, the plants were receiving in the sun, 40 degrees, and the, and the heat of the aircon. Do you, do you understand? And, and with other plants. After one year, the indoor Afghani were all you know, fading down. The Lebanese were destroyed, <laughs> you know. Yes, it shows you how how resistant these these genetics these genetics are. And in the in the pay one generation, we um, there were not much seeds, like thirty or something. And my friend. Reproduce the line in, in 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 a few cycles using a small population, but, but always removing the the dermaphrodites and and, and using a, a very nice female in every cycle with different females. So we came out with uh, three lots from the same males that were pollinated with many different males in, in each lot for the P2, for the second generation. Then we uh, I, uh, we grew like 100. We put all the three lots, the seeds were, were getting old, and we put all 100 plants. And again, a lot of hermaphrodites. Uh, we came up throwing, yeah, like 40, from the 40, 50 plants, Yes, and the Lebanese also has a, 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 high, a high male ratio. Yeah, the Lebanese usually produce quite a lot of males. 
Yeah, well, after removing males and hermaphrodites, we, we left with 30, 40 females. But we, we managed to found sexually st stable uh, females and males, the two, the two main phenotypes, one more sativa with long nodes that takes longer to flower in, 70 days, 74 indoors, uh, bigger gelding, um, more branchy type, uh, thinner leaves, but they're still big, uh, with more tangy, citric, mango, fruity terpenes. And then there's all, uh, other uh, pheno that is smaller, more columnar, faster flowering, 55 days flowering or so, and more colorful. Indoors it turns purple, reddish. And this one, the, the, the aromas are quite strange. It's, it's not so fruity. Yeah, I prefer the effects of the long, and the, the taste and the effects of the long flowering. And the interesting thing of the Libanese is, is that most of the plants produce uh, both THC and CBD. They are rich in both. Okay, uh, like for example, we found like uh, balance THC, CBD, one-to-one chemotypes, 7% THC, 7% CBD. Then uh, ones with very little THC, like 0.5 and 16 of CBD and um, ratios of 1 to 3, like 4% THC to 12% CBD, one, uh, ratios of 1 to THC CBD. It's very interesting. The, the, the main interesting of the, of the Lebanese is the, it's a new source for CBD. It has many interesting rich CBD chemotypes and also some with CBD. With, with CBD. It's uh, very resistant for, for outdoor places where with water restriction, with a with lot of uh, heat. Uh, uh, and yes, the, and and, and people really like the, the effects. Eh? Many growers really like the effects. It's not it's not very strong. It's the potency is soft, moderate because it also has CBD. But it's really pleasant, very really happy, clear. Yeah, that sounds lovely. I was wanting to ask you, what land race genetics do you think are underrepresented within the cannabis culture, so to speak? For me, I always think about haze and how there's supposedly some Indian genetics in there. And I think to myself, you never hear about Indian. What to you do you think is really underrepresented? Uh, as you know, the, uh, the uh, main recreational gene pool uh, comes from genetics that hybrids that were developed in in United States. Okay, so the the uh, the the land race the land races that were used to to develop these hybrids depended a lot on the land races that the people in the United States re receive, obviously. 
So yeah, uh, at the end, what in the, the in United States they work mainly with Mexican, with Colombian, uh, and uh, Thai, uh, a bit lesser, and with Afghanis. That's the main gene pool that the that's the land races that that are more prevalent in today's modern Western recreational example, to say it. So the ones that are underrated and that we should put more attention to is, is, is for example, the, the, the amazing work that Irathening of Indian Land Race Chain is doing. Uh, to look and what we have uh, discussed previously that India, Nepal is probably and Afghanistan and Pakistan the most inter interesting places for to look for biggest diversity, oldest land races with older culture and more variety. And I, I think yes, uh, the Indian land races, the Nepalese land races are not very prevalent in in the gem pool that people is smoking nowadays. Uh, and, in, and regarding Indicas, uh, is is mainly Afghani. Is may, uh, maybe some some Pakistani also made into the North American gem pool, but uh, I think is mostly Afghani. And Pakistan also has very interesting Indicas to to offer, and there are other in, very interesting Indicas in countries like Uzbekistan. Yeah, interesting stuff for sure. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about was something which a lot of fans asked me to follow up with you. Do you ever plan to have any sort of partnerships with any US seed banks? I think there's a lot of US growers that really want your gear but maybe find it hard to get it. Hard to get it, yeah. The, 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 uh, it's legalized with... On a federal level, we will try to establish there a, a legal business and to look for partners there. Uh, I don't think right now is the moment. I have friends in working there. Uh, they, they have helped me with, with selections and I appreciate a lot. But we never talked about making business there. And now we have, we have so many retailers that see worldwide. I understand that the people in the United States is very used to to have the, the product very easy to access in, within the United States and all this. But well, even in this globalized world, the things are not always so easy, <laughs> especially regarding customs. And so to avoid problems, that like we don't want problems. Uh, at this time, we're not shipping to to United States, but I don't think it will take much time. But once they legalize federally, and and once we do a, a few steps here to to get FITO certificates for for an exportation of the seeds, I think they, they won't have any any complaint to to donor allow the, the importation of the seeds there uh, as should be without any problem and fluently. Uh, until now, I, 
I would recommend to, to anyone interested to look in the in the many retailers that see worldwide. We don't do it because we want to 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 be quite strict with the law here. Um, but many retailers are shipping everywhere, and it's very easy. Yeah. Having been able to get some of your CDs myself, I'll let people know it is possible to get them via other means. <laughs> uh, speaking of Australia, I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with the Australian bastard cannabis plant? No, no, not much. Uh, not much. Have you seen photos? Because, uh, as you know, the, uh, we are exactly at the other part of the world, no? Uh, yeah. In Spain, we say, if you make a hole, you, you will appear in, in Australia. No? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, for us, Australia is like, woof, it's, it's super far, super far. So it's, it's not something that, that, that we have in, uh, in our cannabis culture. I remember when we, in Overgrow, when, when some of the Australian growers start to join also there, the Mulu Batman, the, the showing some Mulu Mimi Madness of five kilos plants that, wow, that were amazing. Yeah, I remember some very, very killer Australian growers. <laughs> and then I knew about the, yeah, about the Mulu Mimi Madness, the, the Elephant Sativa, how some Thai stick arrived, no, a lot of Thai stick arrived in the 70s and 80s there. So you have a very good sativa, the purple nimbin. I have hair and seen, but ne never smoked, to be honest. So it's a pity. But I think it's just because the distance and because uh, at the end, the, the Australian hybrids didn't make it into the Dutch genetics or the North Ameri American genetics. And it's a pity because many people say very good things about, about Molomimi madness. So I don't understand how, after so many years, no one came up with a good representation of, of, of a good Mulumimi madness that, that could be spread around the world so people can get a touch of the fine flowers and bread from the Australian growers. <laughs> it's really a pity that, but it's obviously a result of the prohibition. You know, it's, it's just like that. No, you got a very valid point there. It is surprising no one's really locked down the Mullumbimbi madness. I did want to ask you, I know that you grow organically and we're very passionate about helping people to grow organically on the show. What sort of grow style do you use? Do you just use basic amendments and you just mix it in? Do you do no-till? Give us a bit of a rundown on how you grow plants. It's, it's extremely easy because I, I uh, for 20 more than 20 years following the, the same soil mix recipe. I'm a soil grower. I'm an organic grower. I love the outdoor buds over uh, indoor. Uh, and I, I always use is I, I uh, we get a, a very high quality high quality peat from a cooperative here in in Spain. And we have been buying this peat for 25 years, and it's always the same. Um, basically, we put like 80, 90% of this peat, then 10% uh, of very high quality warm casting, then 
a bit of form of, of one of these depend on the strain on the stage and the transplant, more, more for flowering, the, the one and, and a bit of cocoa if, this, if it's a strain that is slow with the roots or if we want to speed up uh, the first week, the first weeks, uh, a bit more of cocoa uh, and this. But basically la, la, like this. Um, and then our organic fertilizer, we use two brands that here in, in Europe are very, very well known is uh, Cana, the, the, the organic line, the BioCana, which is basically Cana Vega and Cana Flores, and the Rhizotonic, which is marvelous for, for transplants. Uh, and then also it's, it's very nice. Uh, I like a lot of the, the, the bio beef, the bio grow, bio bloom, bio fish, uh, see, uh, the fish one. The, I basically usually use this one for 25 years and and that's all. I love the, the taste of, of, and the feeling and the vibration of, of how they came out. Yeah, I don't need anything more. Yeah, I th there's room for improvement regarding yield, but I don't like to use chemical. It, it makes very neutral the taste and, and harsh and, and gives a bad negative uh, vibration that I don't like in the high, like a toxic feeling in the high that I don't like. And, and also I don't use much of these new era flowering stimulators that the, yeah, 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 yeah. They were, more, more, more. I just use guano and a basic organic fertilizer for flowering and that's all. No, not bad busters and all this, no. There you go. Keeping it simple. I like that. So the next question I wanted to ask you was, do you have any seeds in your stash that you're really excited to look through next? Like, what's the next thing you're excited to look on, to look into? Okay, me, I have a list somewhere there. Mira, we we have a a, a cashmere a cashmere has plant the. That one of my colleagues got from a hippie, a Spanish hippie that lives there for, for decades. And we have done a couple of generations of, of this hash plant from, from Kashmir, and it's very interesting. There's job to do because as the, there are different chemotypes, uh, there are some Hermes, but there are some very interesting expressions, like very resinous, white leaf, uh, colors, uh, very interesting terpenes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, this, this cashmere. Then, uh, some, some sativa seeds that a, a, a friend of mine that is a sailor brought me from the Caribbean, in, uh, from San Martin Island. It's a very, very small island in, in the Caribbean. He, uh, and, uh, he told me that after going across the whole Atlantic that he finished all the joints and they, they, they reached to San Martin first in America we, we, in, and then he got in touch with, with, with a rasta there that was growing super crazy sativas uh, like th things uh, live like needles <laughs> my friend told me that's what well, good enough to me like a, a good tropical 
from the carry the carry B that the dog doesn't contain indica that hasn't been contaminated. Then I, I have some interesting Colombia that some the the one Chilean old Chilean men uh, he used to work for the ENCODE. Do you know the ENCODE? I don't know how it's called in English. Is the Department of the United Nations for Drug Studies. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, they, they make uh, some studies in Latin America of, of the drug production area and their relationship with the, the cultures and the, minority, the minority, minorities that, that, that grew there. And, and, and this person was part of it, so he was in contact with many uh, Colombian growers, old school Colombian growers, and he brought me uh, Punto Rojo, uh, Santa Marta Gold, and Amangoviche. And the one I want to have more, more will to explore is maybe the Santa Marta, I don't know. Then I have different seeds from Sri Lanka, and all, and all one that the hippie here from from my village that is half Sri Lankan, grow from Sri Lanka, very small seeds, ultra long flowering, is sativas, four five five months of flowering, um, and I have another Sri Lanka, but these are more fresh. So I, I got other from Sri Lanka in 2017 when I traveled there. And all this that I'm quite curious and that I would like to, waiting in the fridge is also Wanda Azure, one friend from ICMAC, sent me is uh, the, the Papua Nova Guinea, Papua New Guinea. This uh, I'm very, very curious to, to explore this. I haven't explored the, 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 the sativa from, from Papua. I was there in... in yeah, in 2019 for holidays, but but, but I couldn't get with. <laughs> there you go. What a what a nice list. Yeah, that's and we have some projects ongoing this year, which is to bring back the pure China Yunnan, and hopefully to bring the the, the pure Tai Chan Mai. Oh gosh, I think there'll be a lot of demand for that. <laughs> bueno. Don't don't think so. Usually the the Chinese, okay, the well, the, the long flowering plants give you to say you know more reputation than sales. Because <laughs> 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 people yes, yeah yeah one more time this and that this and that. But uh, the truth is that very very few growers is willing to grow. Uh, sativa that take four or five months to flower. It's a very, very sl sl uh, small market. <laughs> yeah, only the hardcore, okay. Well, while we're talking about long flowering sativas, I really wanted to ask you about how you got the old-timer haze. How did that go about, and how would you describe the old-timer haze? The, the old-timer haze is a, a very unique line is uh, one of the most extreme tropical sativa I ever had the 
pleasure to, to experience. It's, um, I don't know how to describe uh, the finished product is, is like it comes from two centuries ago. <laughs> if you saw a bag of old timer heads to to all these cookies guys and all this, they they, they, they don't know how to do, to, to take it. I say, <laughs> what's that? Is it, it's, it's like completely different thing. Is two hundred percent sativa. <laughs> you, you cross old timer heads with an indica, and they all call still one hundred percent sativa. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really extreme. It's very tropical. From seed, it could take six months to flower. Um, the clones we have are really old, are 15 years old. So they, more, they react a bit faster. <laughs> but yeah, they are very, very wild. Very, very wild. Um, what do you know? Want to know uh, more specifically about old timer heads? I guess something I'm interested in is how did you get that stock from old timer, and how do the different phenotypes differ? Is it mostly just the color, or is are they actually quite different? The 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 old timer heads, uh, there are two main phenos: the green and the purple haze. Okay, and they are grow and flower almost the same. The, the difference is only in the second half of flowering and in the finished product. But during the whole growth, early flowering, they look essentially green. Okay. If if you live in a cold, in a if they are grown in outdoors in a cold weather, uh, usually in October with the cold nights, the the colorful phenotypes start to show, okay? Usually showing a bit of the purple veins, uh, red, red, reddish tones, okay? Uh, and depending how cold is your weather, yeah, it, it just needs that the, through the flowering, the, the, the nights are, are lower than 15 degrees. So this happened in, except in, in tropics and subtropical, it happened in in, in, in most temperate latitudes, even with good climate like the Mediterranean. So, so yes, um, regarding finished product, the, the, the green haze is super clean, super euphoric. And it's, it's a bit like the, the, like the New Caledonia just the smoke, that you feel everything more amplified. You are more alive. Okay? It's... And you want to do things like <laughs> you have a lot of energy, okay? Uh, the purple hay and, and the green haze smell like an ancient wood, spices, uh, incense. I, I I like to to describe it like like uh, the backpack of a backpacker after <laughs> traveling one month in India <laughs> and coming back with, with incense and spices and, and all the dirty clothes. <laughs> something, something like that is <laughs> the smell of the, of the, of the, of the old Tarmer haze, the green fennel. Uh, some, uh, um, 
Uh, and yes, the green haze, even with cold temperatures, even freezing temps, is completely ripe green. Then the purple haze, with the colder nights uh, in October, November, December, uh, start to show more, more, more color, more color. Um, yeah, usually they show a mix of, of red and purple. And, and yes, there's also the, the, the purple fennel have more like red wine, brandy, kind of alcoholic terpenes, uh, uh, more berry, uh, blackberry, strawberry. Okay, it could have also the incense. And the, uh, is the, the smoke is also very, very cerebral. It's all in the head, it's, but it's more introspective than the green haze. Okay. And how did you get the seed stock initially? Okay, the, the, the seeds came from, from Old Timer, which is one of the pioneers breeders in, in UK. Um, he's a, an old person and he was in touch with with the, the first marijuana movement and the, the first hippies traveling and, and exchanging seeds that, that came from, from from Asia. So he also traveled to United States. So yeah, he, he got different haze lines uh, that he collected himself that are not derived from some schoolmen. At least directly, I don't know. Uh, you know that all the original haze is the, the haze that Sam Schumann brought on, on 84, I don't know, in the mid-80s, to Holland. Um, this is supposedly a, a, a pure haze line collected by old timer, another person, and that has been preserved parallelly to original haze from Sam Schumann, yes. Uh, old timer told me that, that he had three lines but because he gave away to people uh, to reproduce, but never, no one did. At the end, he, he lost it. And he, he used to breathe in UK, so he can only breathe indoors. So the old timer were too, too extreme for, 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 for the breathing goals and needs. So he made a few hybrids with, with, with it, but he, he ended up losing the, his, his pure haze population. At the end, only one person that, that was called Pacific was one, one of the persons that, that received the pure haze seeds from, from, from him, from Alzheimer, and, and, and he did a small reproduction. And, and he, at that time, he gave away seeds to in cannabis world, I think it was, yes, to, to different people, to people like Santibaba, to us. And I th there were not many seeds left. And uh, I, I think old timer appreciate us, cherry us, and, and he gave us and knew that we were really passionate with Santibaba, so he gave us like 40 or 50 seeds of the from the, the Pacific reproduction. And, and those were, uh, I don't have any 
any record or, no, or, no, or news that anyone grew a moral timer haze from the original bats, from the original bats, or that anyone preserve any other haze line from from old timer different than this one. Or, or only the the world we did is what remains alive. Yeah, fantastic. It's a it's a very highly sought after strain in terms of the cult following. Just as a random side question, did Old Timer ever talk to you about giving genetics to Sam the Skunk Man or being involved in the Skunk Project? No. No, uh, I, I think I, uh, he, um, I, I cannot put, I cannot say now that, that he say that, that that he work in, in the Skunk. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he never say that, that he work to develop the haze. He only say that that he got seeds. Yes. Coming from his. What others are saying, I uh, I prefer no, not to go. It's all polemic about things that I don't know. They are a fact, so I prefer not to go in. Yeah. So just as a sort of general question, what's your favorite offering from a seeds? If you could only pick one. Oof. Huh. So difficult. <laughs> mm. For others or for me? Um, how about do one for each? If it, if it was for me, uh, I will Tai Chi. Tai Chi. For me, is don't know. It's press all my buttons. It makes me feel like... I don't know, like... Is is what I call a spiritual weed. <laughs> it's really magic weed. It's very special and the incense. For me, it's magic weed. And for others, if you want, I wanted to impress someone and don't know anything about orsativas and something that is grow Panama cross banking haze fan, and and you will get a, a good intro introduction <laughs> into our work wow two really solid offerings there i was hoping i could ask you a little bit about the panama red line you have i noticed obviously it's an f10 so it sounds like a lot of work's gone into this project what sort of traits were you looking for in it and do you have any plans to breed with it more in the future um. The, the Panama strain is probably the the strain we we, we have work longer, more generation, and probably of all long term lines is probably the best one. Yes, and most of, of the merit on this line came from the job of of Kaiki or of Charlie Garcia. He did the most difficult generation and and the um, and to put it uh, at a level that oof, that is incredible. The uh, the uh, the Panama or Panama well, is is a three Panama hybrid. It it started in, in the United States. The uh, the there was a, a, a 
a grower, amateur breeder uh, in the overgrow forums that he was a friend of mine. Uh, and Charlie, uh, Charlie Garcia, he, his name was Green Grocer. And um, uh, he used to grow uh, uh, Panama, uh, Panama lines. He had a, a, a hybrid of a Panama, old Panama green uh, and an old Panama red line. Okay. And, and he worked, I don't know, maybe one, two generations, this hybrid, green grocer. Then uh, he passed the, um, the, the genetics to Charlie Garcia, to Kaiki, from Cannabio Hem, when we were working the first years of A-Seeds. And, and, we, and we took a, a third Panama Colombian red strain from Alex Mano Negra, okay? And um, we put several red, uh, male, red males from this third red sativa male into the, the two-way hybrid, ma making a three-way three hybrid, okay? And then Kaiki wore the hybrid in at least as, until the F6, F7, until 2006. And uh, he, 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 Kaiki did uh, the most difficult job is uh, Panama is like to, to capture the, the best uh, trace of the of the best Panama reds in, in, a, in, a, in a strain that can be grown with modern standards and compete with resin, terpenes, potency, bag appeal, quality with the modern strains. Yeah, is an extremely good job. Um, we don't say lightly that is the the best pure sativa Central American sativa bread of the last 20 years because it is is amazing quality. It has different phenos. Uh, the red ones, the green ones, some that have so much resin that is white, purple one. And um, Kaiki work the uh, Charlie Garcia work the Panama until the F6, F7. And then I start to work with the line on 2006, 2007. I did like two or three generation. And then I, the, the time that I work better myself, the Panama was in 2013 when I put like seven different Panama lines from F6 to F10. Uh, and then we selected um, among 100 different females. And then I came up with the Panama Go Goddess F10 Elite, which is my work after Kaiki, after Charlie Garcia, of a mix of his elite uh, Panama Red, the lead Panama Red we had at Tasty's at that time. Mix it with greens that I like, and then work three, four, five generation work. Some of the line, the, 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 the main parental plant we use for Panama breeding is the Panama Goddess. It's an F, F10, F10, sorry. And it's uh, elite, it has everything I want. It's probably not the more redis, 
Bad Regarding Jill, Type of Effect, uh, Quality of the Effect, Terpins, is the, the best female I have seen until now. After 20 years working with Panama. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. So I was hoping to clarify. I noticed that the Pakistani Chitrali Kush breeder pack, it kind of had a lot of different phenotypes listed in it. Is that similar to how you were talking about doing like the different Zamels where they're sort of like unreleased mothers and you're including them in this pack that aren't normally in the others? And how would you describe the other Pakistani mothers compared to the usual one you use? Okay, the, the concept of the breeder packs is more more addri- addressed to 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 big breed or to breeders and um, a big growers that want to make a, a big selection to find that really really outstanding plan to to keep as a clone and keep for years. It's people that that wants to go into one of our strain as much as deep and wide as possible. And in, in the breeder pack, it's, each pack, uh, it's a strain is different, so it's breeder pack is different. But what I try to, to offer is uh, uh, seeds from the different best lines that represent the strain, okay? Um, for example, in the case of the Panama breeder packs will be to put uh, good that the grower can easily find good seeds from the Panama green, from the Panama the, of the red pink pistil, from the latest job we have done with the strain coming from the Panama goddess, etc. Uh, with the Cali uh, China, uh, different lines, they are cousins, uh, one half the slightly different terpene, the other different, slightly different effects. So if you, for example, want to, or in the Pakistan Chitrakush, which is the, the Pakistan that has been used more in the industry to produce colorful hybrids, <laughs> whatever they, name, they want to put on it, but I know it's PCK. <laughs> It's, it's so easy to, to, to because it's, it's the parental plants. I've been working 15 years, this like recognize one, one of my daughters. And for example, if you want to breed with Pakistan Chitra Goose and do it in a more proper way, you take the breeder pack and you, from the green line, I focus to find the best from the green. This is the, the best purple for their pins. This is the black one, very rare phenotype, even the, the colorful ones, etc. And depending on the reproduction we have done and what have been the most remarkable uh, plants, then I make a breeder pack that provides the best from the last breeding step, usually. What a great answer. So there we go, guys. If you want to do the big pheno hunt, you know where to look. So we're now on to our final quickfire questions, which we ask all breeders at the end of the interview. So the first question I wanted to ask you was, if you could go back 10 years and give yourself some advice relating to cannabis, what would you tell yourself? 
regarding Canada. Ten years ago. <laughs> I believe everything how it is. Yeah, that's the beautiful life. Oh, that's poetic. I love it. The next question we ask guests is, what is the single most memorable bit of cannabis you ever smoked, be it flour, hash, whatever it is? What's the most memorable for you? Oof. Oof. The most memorable. The, the most memorable that I cherish in my memory a lot is the Nepalese Kamandu, which one of the few races I grew. It was a flower with purple, pinkish hues. It was such a delicate plant that followed with its delicate colors. And it smelled like wild strawberry. And when you smoke it, it was intense, like being in Nepal. Why we were, we were childs. Uh, and they say, my God, this we from Nepal is incredible good. Then also with the, with the trip is from the pure thamals and the first time we, we did like incredible trippy, incredible trippy. Then other strains I miss a lot are the, 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 the funny Mexican effects that make you loud with your friends, like a, a bit like the New Caledonia to smoke that, that is make you smile and improve your mood. I miss the, this this kind of effects. The, uh, the, you very seldom find it today, in today's week. Or mm. other strain I smoke, very interesting purple sativas in northern Laos, in Bandien, well, that was very strong and unique. I never tried anything like this. And then I smoke in when I was in North Sumatra, uh, in a orangutan reserve, uh, we had to the the good luck to try the 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 Achegol is how we call it. <laughs> the Americans, I guess, they put gold to everything, <laughs> but it was in, in in it was black, <laughs> and it was just. The truth is true, and I haven't smoked in a few weeks. It was on holidays, and I was there in in the dark, in the jungle, and, and one of the that was traveling with us with the group uh, got some of the of the local weed from from northern Sumatra, from from Mace. and they were a black fermented thing that almost had no bracts. That it was only leaf and sticks. Well, we make one or two yarns and, and we said it between three and four. And it was extremely, extremely strong. If you grow this properly with good flour and you let it ripe because the, the flour we smoke wasn't ripe, um, the, I think the is one of of the strongest the land races I have uh, I have experienced in, in northern Sumatra. Another uh, I cherish from from the commercial strains 
the first uh, maple leaf that smell like baby shit. <laughs> Incredible terpenes. Uh, and of course, the, the, Hayes, the best Hayes hybrids from Neville from the 90s. Jack uh, Herrer is a masterpiece. Uh, the Hawaiian haze it was incredible. Only tried once, but it was the, the, probably one of the most trippy and terpy and best hybrid from, from Neville. Um, the Calimese, the old Calimese from Sirius and Simon, it was spectacular. It was spectacular. Um, yes, one Philippine Kalinga the, from Cordillera Centrales that, that tastes like a jasmine. It was purple and tastes like, like, like jasmine. Yeah, these are probably the, the land races and commercial strains that that I cherish more and had more impact in me. Fantastic. What an awesome list you've got there. So the next question I wanted to know was, if you were going to get dropped off on a desert island and you could only take three strains with you for the rest of time, what three strains are you going to take with you? It would be Thamaldelica. Panama Cross Bangi Hayes and Taichi. There you go. So just very, very sativa dominant selection. Love it, love it. Okay. So, have you ever had a strain where all your friends are telling you about it, you're getting very excited to try it, and then it finally comes time to try it, you do, and you feel like this isn't very good at all. It's quite disappointing. Yeah, it happens... Me very frequently with all the new strains. <laughs> to be honest, with the GG4, all these cookies, yeah, it look good and, and look very good, but doesn't tell me anything. For yeah, I like this is the kind of smoke that I like to smoke, smoke in the afternoon, and and yeah, people is crazy about this about all these weeds and. But honestly, you put me in New Caledonia. Like you can only smoke. The Kush are New Caledonia. To give you an example, I will take the New Caledonia back. <laughs> you can keep all the Kush you want. <laughs> Fantastic. So the final question for our chat today. If you could go back in time, any place, any point in history to collect some seeds... Where would you go and what seeds would you collect? I, 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 I would go to, to Thailand in the 70s to get the true Thai stick. Colombia, in this life, I already have. But yes, definitely, I will go to Colombia. I will go to, to get the finest Colombias from the 60s and 70s. Um, Afghani before all the mess and the wars. You know, and Afghani's from the 60s and the 70s. And yes, I think the, the most are still alive. Eh? 
Yeah, the, especially in Asia, in Asia and Africa, where, where, where it was really old to have it. There you go. Good news. Yeah, yeah, I'm still positive. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It, it was the time to to, to see people like Erathinif from India Land Exchange because, uh, and to, to, to see them so active. And they, 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 they should be the ones that to do to do this and, and not a Westerner. The Westerner, even if it goes to Thailand or, or Africa or India, is not going to get the best. You know, uh, only only the locals. I'm from, from Valencia. You're only going to eat the best paella in the world if you are from, from Valencia and your grandma cook is for you. It's, it's the same. You, you cannot pretend to go to any place and, 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 came, and come back with the, the best. So it's, it's super interesting. It's finally it was the moment that the, the people of the the, the, the the people from the traditional the traditional farmers and people from those countries start to uh, understand the value and the importance of the preservation of the of their their gene pools because they are very united with their with many of their traditional life and lifestyle and who can do this better than than the local people. Uh, and who should do it ethically um, and morally others first than them so it's, it's amazing what that what is doing and that's why through ACES we are trying to to support the world that the indian land race saints are doing to to document the land races of of, of the countries that had more and and showing us that there are still so many left and and there are still so many things in cannabis to discover that that shows the same thing. So yes, that's why I like to support the people like him. I'm extremely excited with with every project, with every project they do. Um, and yes, I think the future is there. Now that the legalization is coming to to all these countries, that people try to empower their their local strengths. Uh, and try to preserve what we have left, and then try to 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 develop new strains, something really new. What a fantastic answer! So I think that just about brings us to the end of the episode today. Were there any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make? The that I love you, everyone. <laughs> I love you, people. I really uh, appreciate the, the support of, to ACES. It has been some years. It has not been very easy. Well we done. We had many ups and downs. It has been very hard. We have had to sacrifice many things. Uh, but we did it because we love it, we, because we wanted, because it was our passion. And we wanted to contribute with something. And I really appreciate how how the our genetics impact in so in some growers uh, and uh, how happy makes people and uh, how happy this this makes me feel this makes me feel is <laughs> a really beautiful thing and it's very creative and there's a lot of love involved. Uh, so yes, 
this industry is not easy. I probably, I never did all the things always correctly. I'm not, it's just a human, I just, but I just try to be as much good person as I can be and give the best of, of me in my work. And this is, is this, um, without you, it would never happen. So thank you very much. Much love. Fantastic. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us all the history, all the knowledge from the land race preserver himself, Dubia Vase Genetics. Thank you so much again. Thank you all so much. It has been a pleasure to start the spring this beautiful day with you. There you have it, friends. A fantastic episode with Doobie of Ace Seeds. Thank you so much, Doobie, for taking the time to come on the show and share all your knowledge with us. We're incredibly appreciative. Likewise, we're incredibly appreciative of our sponsors as always. Go check out Seeds here now. They have a wide variety of both modern and more land race type lines. Anything a seed addict could desire, they're going to be able to help you out. They've got all the top quality breeders and a guarantee on satisfaction at the end of the harvest, not just on germination. Why would you go anywhere else? They're my pick. Go check them out. Likewise, you need to stop on by our friends at Coppet Biological Systems. With the largest range of predator mites and other natural enemies in the game. Be sure to check out their Ultimite. A predator mite breeding sachet for all your thrip, spider mite and russet mite issues. All while specifically formulated for maximum release rates in a cannabis production climate. And next up, who could forget our friends at ProMix. They're here to help you get the best crop possible. Check out the ProMix Connect mycorrhizal inoculant to ensure that your crop is productive, resinous, dense, flavorful, all the things you want. We know mycorrhizal is important. The god Jeff Lowenfeld told us. What more do I need to say, guys? ProMix Connect, a fantastic product. Go check it out. Finally, the Patreon gang, you guys know it. I love you. You are the lifeblood of the show and you get access to episodes early as well as bonus unheard content. So if you want to be a part of the club, go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast for early access, bonus content, giveaways and so much more. So there we have it guys. Thanks for hanging around till the end. Appreciate y'all as always. This is Heavy Days signing out from the Upside Down Library. We'll see you.